Good morning, Hope Church. It's great to be with you. Before we kick off this morning, just a reminder that we're in a period of Lent, which is a time where we prepare ourselves for Resurrection Sunday. We have placed a suggestion on our website that we read through the Gospel of Mark during this period. If you'd like those readings, they are on our website or I can email them to you. Uh, do look at our website or contact me and I will pass them on to you. Let's start with a word of prayer this morning. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Pray that you would lead us and guide us. Pray that you would speak to us. Pray, Lord, that we would know your presence and your power today. We thank you because you do love us and we ask that you would continue to bless us in your precious name. Amen. Last week, we focused on the heart. We said the heart was the center of human beings. The new Bible describes the heart like this. It is essentially the whole man with all his attributes, physical, intellectual, and psychological, of which the Hebrew thought and spoke. And the heart was conceived of as the governing center for all of these. Now, the heart includes the personality, which is your inner life. The heart includes our emotional state. The heart includes our intellectual activities, and it includes our will. The heart is the center of who we are. Everything comes out of our heart. Uh, the dictionary goes on to say, this means that heart comes to the nearest in the New Testament in, in terms of what it means to be a person. So we are our heart. You are your heart. What is in your heart constitutes you as an individual. You can see why God said it's important that we guard our hearts. The New Bible Dictionary goes on to say, there is no suggestion in the Bible that the brain is the center of consciousness, thought, or will. It is the heart which is so regarded. And though it is used of emotions also, it is more frequently the lower organs, insofar as they are distinguished, that are connected with the emotions. As a broad general statement, it is true that the Bible places the psychological focus one step lower in the anatomy than most popular modern speech, which uses mind for consciousness, thought and will, and heart for emotions. Mind is perhaps the closest modern term in biblical usage of heart, and many passages in the Bible are translated thus. The heart is, however, a wider term, and the Bible does not distinguish the rational or mental process in a way that Greek philosophy does. So essentially, it's saying that although we would say the emotions are just the heart in modern language and in modern day life, the Bible actually teaches that the heart is the center of everything, including your mind, your will, and your emotions. Now, I'm not going to recapitulate on last week. You might be thinking, hey, Simon, you said this last week. Well, I did say some of it, but I wanted to just repeat some things because I want to build on it this week. I really want it to be clear that the center of who we are is in our heart. And so we have this massive question, how do we deal with our hearts, especially in the light of Jeremiah 79, which we looked at last week, that says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure, who can understand it? 
Each of us could testify to the truth of this scripture. Our hearts sometimes surprise us with the evil that is lurking there. So what is the answer in dealing with our hearts, especially in the light that it is the center of who we are? There is a word that isn't used much these days, and it is a word that is brokenness. Maybe you've heard it. It was used far more years ago. Nowadays, I don't hear it very often. I was taught that the starting place for my journey with God was brokenness. But what does it mean? For most of us, when we make a decision to follow Jesus, it comes through a recognition of our failure. Jesus highlights uh, the sinfulness of our nature and he reveals how wicked our hearts are. As we see this and as we recognize that there's nothing that we can do about it, we are confronted with a couple of choices. Either do nothing and suffer the consequences, for in God revealing our sin to us, he also reveals to us that the day of judgment is coming. In Romans 2 verse 6 to 11, it says, God will reward or punish every person for what that person has done. Some people, by always continuing to do good, live for God's glory, for honor and for life that has no end. God will give them life forever. But other people are selfish. They refuse to follow truth and instead follow evil. God will give them his punishment and anger. He will give trouble and suffering to everyone who does evil, to the Jews first and also to those who are not Jews. But he will give glory, honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jews first and also to those who are not Jews. For God judges all people in the same way. So judgment day is coming. The second choice we have is that we can repent. If we do nothing about it, we face judgment. If we repent, then, well, let's, let me talk about this. If we repent, this includes confession of what we have done wrong. It also includes a recognition that we are wrong at the core of our being and an agreement that we're going to turn from the way that we think and the way that we live to God's way of thinking and God's way of living. And that averts the judgment and also brings us new life. Now, for many people, this repentance is, it ends there. But I said last week that repentance, this turning to Jesus, is only the beginning. It is God breaking into our experience and us responding. There is a misconception, in my opinion, that once we have repented, all is well and good. No further work is needed. This is untrue. We have been forgiven. Yes, Jesus lives in us. Yes, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. But our own experience testifies that the sinful nature is still living and active. And it highlights that further work is needed. Brokenness then is an ongoing process. It is not a one-off event. The Bible talks about the fact that we are saved, that we are being saved, and that we will be saved. You might be sitting there thinking, well, Simon, which is it? Well, let me tell you, it is all three. When we repent and we ally ourselves to Jesus, we are saved. 
but the Holy Spirit still helps us to work out our salvation. Philippians 2 verse 12 to 13, my dear friends, you have always obeyed God when I was with you. It is even more important that you obey now while I am away from you. Keep on working to complete your salvation with fear and trembling because God is working in you to help you want to do and be able to do what pleases him. So there is an ongoing work of salvation. And when Christ returns, we are told we will be saved. And so essentially we are on this journey of faith. There are plenty of references, especially in the book of Revelation, about needing to endure to the end. This process of being saved is a work that the Holy Spirit does in cooperation with us. And brokenness is a powerful uh, tool in the Holy Spirit's toolkit. It never ceases to amaze me that those who have suffered most are most used by God and are most effective in their service, and they also have the most peace in God. So what exactly is brokenness? I'm going to read you this amazing definition by a man called John Collinson. Sometimes it is asked what we mean by brokenness. It is not easy to define, but can clearly be seen in the reactions of Jesus, especially as he approached the cross and in his crucifixion. I think it can be applied personally thus. When to do the will of God means that even my Christian brethren will not understand. And I remember that neither did his brethren believe in him. And I bow my head to obey and accept the misunderstanding. This is brokenness. When I am misrepresented or deliberately misinterpreted, and I remember that Jesus was falsely accused, but he held his peace, and I accept the accusation without trying to justify myself. This is brokenness. When another is preferred before me, and I am deliberately passed over, and I remember that they cried, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas, and I bow my head and accept the rejection. This is brokenness. When my plans are brushed aside and I see the work of years brought to ruins by the ambitions of others, and I remember that Jesus allowed them to lead him away to crucify him, and he accepted that place of failure, and I bow my head and accept the injustice without bitterness, this is brokenness. When in order to be right with God, it is necessary to take the humbling path of confession and restitution, and I remember that Jesus made himself of no reputation and humbled himself uh, unto death and even death on the cross. And I bow my head and am ready to accept the shame of exposure. This is brokenness. When others take unfair advantage of me because I am a Christian and treat my belongings as public property, and I remember they stripped him and parted his garments, casting lots, and I bow my head and accept joyfully the spoiling of my goods for his sake. This is brokenness. When one acts towards me in an unforgivable way, and I remember that when he was crucified, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
and I bow my head and accept, my and accept any behavior towards me permitted by my loving Father. This is brokenness. When people expect the impossible of me and more than time or human strength can give. And I remember that Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And I repent of my self-indulgence and lack of self-giving for others. This is brokenness. What an amazing, amazing description of brokenness. And you'll find that God uses all the things that we complain about, all the things that we think are wrong in our lives, all the unfairness, all the things that we look at and say, this shouldn't be. God uses those very things to bring brokenness into our lives. I would encourage you to reflect on those words. And if you would like a copy of them, send me an email and I will email you a copy. You know, we spend so much time avoiding hardship and suffering, and yet it is clear that this is the way of God. Remember always, Jesus suffered, and he was the perfect son of God who had committed no sin. So my first point this morning is that God breaks us in dealing with our hearts, not in a way that we are destroyed, but in a way that we are perfected. This is a unique journey for each of us. There is no profit in looking at someone else's journey. We must walk our own. This, my friend, is the path to victory. This doesn't mean that we walk around moping, crying, woe is me. No, we submit to the work. We realize that Christ is being formed in us. Hardship and suffering is never the goal. A new you, Christ being formed in us, that is the goal. Outside of the Bible, there is so much testimony from men and women of God in history who say this is how God works. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 to 10, when you are weak, my, when you are weak, my power is made perfect in you. So I am very happy to brag about my weakness. Then Christ's power can live in me. For this reason, I am happy when I have weaknesses, insults, hard times, sufferings, and all kinds of troubles for Christ. Because when I am weak, then I am strong. What does this mean? It means that we embrace the life that God has given to us. It means we look for God in every difficulty. It means we submit humbly and allow the Holy Spirit to complete his work. It means that we don't compare ourselves with others. This is our journey with God. You know, I wanted to share this this morning because I think it's a principle of God. God does not work like the world works. God's methods are not the same methods that the world uses, but his methods are super effective. We live in a privileged time. We have a Bible full of promises and encouragements. I want you to remember this morning that no matter what difficulty you go through, Jesus is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you. God promises never to test you beyond your, beyond your capacity to bear it. He gives you strength to endure and he ministers life and strength in the midst of your challenges. The Bible records that Jesus had a tough 40-day fast. 
And at the end of it, he was physically weakened. And that is when Satan chose to attack him. God's word beat off Satan. And afterwards, we're told angels came and ministered to Jesus. God will send those angels to you. God will give you his word so that you too can beat back Satan. We are always in victory, even through tough times. Why are we always in victory? Because Christ has overcome. Because Christ sits above all authority. Because Christ has prepared a place for us too. We will be like him one day and we will be with him one day. But for now, we follow. For now, we trust. For now, we live by faith and not by sight. For now, we choose to trust Jesus and not the world. For now, we choose to live by every word of God because we know that it proceeds from his mouth. For now, we know that we cannot lose. We know our treasure is in heaven. We know that a great crowd who has gone before us cheers us on. We know that the end is in sight. We know our reward is waiting. And all the kingdoms of the world, yes, even Satan himself, cannot rip us from God's hands. God's love is constant. God's character is faithful. God's gaze is always on us. Jesus is praying for us. The Holy Spirit is interceding for us. Let me tell you, my friends, we cannot fail. Philippians 3 Verse 12 to 14, let me finish with this scripture this morning. I do not mean that I am already as God wants me to be. I have not yet reached that goal, but I continue trying to reach it and to make it mine. Christ wants me to do that, which is the reason he made me his. Brothers and sisters, I know that I have not yet reached that goal, but there is one thing I always do. Forgetting the past and straining towards what is ahead, I keep trying to reach the goal and get the prize for which God called me through Christ Jesus to the life above. My friends, keep going. Press on. We are in victory. Christ is with us and we will get through. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you that you are for us. I want to thank you that you are the God who leads us. I want to thank you that everything we are and everything that we do comes from you. I want to thank you. You know intimately our challenges and difficulties. And I want to thank you that not only do you see it, but you supply the resources to help us through. So, Lord, I bless you this morning. I pray for every brother and sister watching this this morning. May God bless you. May you know that he is with you. May you know his power and strength. May you know his provision. And may you know most of all that heavenly gaze of Jesus so that you can dwell in that relationship with him that brings joy into your heart. So, Lord, we thank you and we bless you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you. Have a really great day.